From Community Public Radio, this is the CPR News. From New York, I'm Don DeBar. Today we go to Nicaragua to speak with Stephen Sefton. He's going to give us an update on things that are happening in Latin America, Central America, South America, and the Caribbean. Stephen, a pleasure to have you back with us. Yeah, thanks, Don. And and as usual, we've got far too much ground to, to be able to cover in a single short conversation. But let, let's, let's, take let's a see how far we yeah. can get. Go ahead. Go for it. So, yeah, so from my point of view, I mean, there's, there's been interesting uh, events happening here in the Central American region. And as people may know, uh, uh, last weekend there was the uh, presidential election and legislative elections also in Costa Rica. And Costa Rica, people may um, not know much about it. It's a small country um, with a population of about 5 million people, something over 5 million. And they they were voting for uh, 57 seats in their legislature, and for their their, their president. And so, and I, I can't remember if we managed to, to to talk about the the likely outcome uh, in our previous program, Don. But I'm, it was a, a foregone conclusion that uh, the 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 leading candidates, that there would not be a, a, an outright winner, that they'd have to go to a runoff, and that'll be held on April the 3rd. And as almost everybody was predicting, um, Jose Figueres, the uh, uh, centre-right candidate who was a, a, a former, he was actually a former president of Costa Rica, um, he won the ballot, And but to some people's surprise, uh, 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 the 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 person going into the runoff with him is a guy called Rodrigo Chavez, who um, has a, a, an unsavory reputation in, in uh, Costa Rica as uh, a, you know somebody who who's, can't be trusted around uh, his female subordinates. And oh, he, nice. I think I, I can't remember which institution he was he was forced to resign from. I think it was the World Bank, but that's why he was forced to resign. And he's so. So, to some people's surprise, he's the person that goes into the runoff with Jose Figueres. Very few people expect any other result than a win for Jose Figueres in the runoff on April 3rd. That's not and so long the, ago. The, I'm looking at a report on that from last October. That you know, the case itself goes back to 2009, but in, in October they were talking about this at the World Bank. Right. Jeez. Right. And, right. and he's... Uh, He's in the running. What? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm just kind of astonished. No, no, no by, by all means. I mean, it's, uh, he, in, in Costa Rica, and that he, he's, he's regarded as a perfectly respectable candidate, which, uh, well, at least among the mainstream. Mm-hmm. So anyway, and it was the, the, in, in the legislature, it was quite interesting because the Frente Amplio, the, 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 the kind of radical left-wing grouping, which normally gets maybe one or at the most two seats in these um, legislative elections, they actually managed to get six seats. 10%. And it was a very bad result for the ruling party. Um, I think the Citizens Action Party is, is the ruling party of um, uh, President Alvarado, and, and they, I, they didn't do very well at all. I, I, as far as I can see, they didn't even get a single seat in the legislature. But I mean, you know, and the, the the thing about the Costa Rican result is that there was forty percent abstention, which is very high—a level of abstention for 
an ele- a presidential election in Costa Rica, and it just goes to show that none of the none of the candidates really uh, offer any inspiring leadership or vision for uh, Costa Rica's future, and certainly no vision um, of a good future for Costa Rica's impoverished classes. And the I think the level of poverty in Costa Rica is up around 27% now, which for the country that used to pride itself on being the Switzerland of Central America is, is, is a very bad result. But it's a very predictable result because none of the candidates uh, in this election or in any of the previous elections have uh, offered any other policies except the usual neoliberal mixture, uh, which is a, a, a recipe for stagnation underinvestment and um, and frustration for, uh, in particular, for small business people, small farmers. But anyway, and, and we, the the result was very predictable. We got the result that uh, we expected and, and, and we'll probably get the same uh, expected result in the April 3rd runoff and Jose Figueres will win. But that, you see, that to me is um, a good example of uh, why, in particular, in, in because, sorry, I'm, I'm not being very coherent. I know the pe- people, because of Nicaragua principally, and because of the very strong revolutionary movements in Central America um, in the 1980s, 1970s and 1980s, people often think that uh, Central America has a very uh, strong and healthy um, progressive, revolutionary, radical um, uh, force in, in, uh, across the region, and that's simply not true. And you can see that in Costa Rica, with the consistently um, poor results for the Frente Amplio. And you can see it also in the fact that uh, in Honduras, in order to achieve that historic victory that they achieved last year in the elections in November last year, um, the, the the Libre Party had to go into a coalition with with other more mainstream parties, in particular the party of Salvador Nasrallah, whose uh, main um, uh, policy platform is anti uh, anti corruption. And if they if they hadn't formed that coalition, they would they, they would very likely not have been able to defeat the um, incumbent national party, despite the fact that that national party is notorious for its corruption, and the the government of its uh, president over the last eight years, Juan Orlando Hernandez, is notoriously corrupt. So. And 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 you you can see the same in in Guatemala. Why isn't there a more progressive, uh, a more a more successful progressive force in Guatemala? Oh, Why please! There? They've been killing communists and socialists in Guatemala at least since our bands. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. They murder them. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And 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 you know, I'm, we we can talk more about that later on. But and that that the, the what I'm trying to explain is that and the. Political, the political consensus in Central America is generally quite conservative with a small c. And so uh, it's the when you look at Nicaragua and the, the uh, extraordinary success of the Frente Sandinista in terms of um, its uh, uh, election results, and that, that just goes to show how difficult, in, in, a, in, a, 
in a paradoxical way, how very difficult it is in, in, in the other Central American countries for those revolution, revolutionary forces to break through. And the, because you'd think, wouldn't you, that the example of the Frente Sandinista in Nicaragua and all the incredible achievements that they've uh, uh, notched up over the last uh, 12 years or so, actually going on for 15 years now, um, would would be an example to other countries and the, the, the uh, other countries would follow that, that kind of radical revolutionary template. But that's not the case. And in fact, in, in El Salvador, you have a situation where the revolutionary political force there, the Frente Farabundo Marti, um, has actually suffered serious electoral setbacks over the last few years, for all kinds of reasons, but um, leading to a point where you have a a maverick right-wing figure like um, Najib Bukele uh, calling the shots in El Salvador for the moment. And even even there, too, you can see how the the tide of support for Bukele is, is, is on the way out. But and the, that, my, my, the, the thing I'm trying to get across is that one, one shouldn't uh, think that it, it's, it's normal in Costa Rica for progressive and revolutionary forces to do well. It's actually the opposite. And that um, in Honduras, there's been a, a, a very significant development um, where, do, do you remember when we were talking about Honduras the last time we yes. were talking about how yeah, the there's been a division? Yeah. A split in the Libre Party, and that led to a situation in which uh, 18 members of the Libre Party voted for uh, a right-wing directorate of the legislature, the National Congress. Let me just remind people, like, very briefly. um, In in essence, what happened was uh, we had finally a return to the constitutional government, uh, in essence. Uh, After the coup, it was in 2009, 2010, against the government of uh, Mel Zelaya, the U.S.-backed coup there, and, and uh, the interim period from then until this you know, last month, um, a series of right-wing uh, governments that were there that were the you know, child of the coup, in essence. Uh, finally, we had uh, Ziamar Castro, who was the wife of uh, Mel Zelaya, by the way, uh, uh, rode into office on, on popular vote, and a slate, a majority slate in the uh, legislature uh, running with her was also elected. And as soon as they sat down in the legislature, half of them defected to the right wing in, in front of, or more than half. And it was obviously staged. And, you know, it was basically the right wings, the U.S.'s fallback plan in the event that people got control of the government again. And so there was this split the last time we spoke that had still, you know, this cleave in, in the uh, party, the majority party, uh, had still existed last week. And so we're updating now that this has been healed. So go ahead and give us the details. Yeah, so I'm the, the leader of the, the, the group that split away was a guy called Jorge Calix. And I, one of the things that he objected to was the fact that um, – by, by prior agreement that had been ratified uh, in an assembly of the Libre Party uh, grassroots, um, the presidency of the National uh, Congress, the legislature in Honduras, uh, was to be assigned to the Libre Party ally, um, the, the, the Salvador Nasrallah's party, and a guy called a guy called Luis Redondo was going to be the um, 
the president of the legislature. And apparently, the one of the pretexts for the split was that the Libre dissidents were not in agreement with that. But in in, in carrying out the split, they were in in rejecting the democratic wishes of the majority of the Libre Party membership. So anyway, that's been sorted out, and that's very important because. Um, assuming that we can take it at face value and that that means that the Libre Party bloc will vote as a bloc in the legislature, that should make it much easier for Xiomara Castro's government to push through the progressive legislation that they're hoping to push through, some of which um, is very, very important in terms of rolling back the the privatisation agenda of the previous uh, administration under Juan Orlando Hernandez, and also in reclaiming basic sovereignty, basic national sovereignty for the country. Right, so which is what these people uh, ran on again. Yes, go ahead. Right. So then, and in terms of when of of, of what's happening in the region um, and possible threats to the stability of the region, and that uh, or. or talking about the stability of the region overall, the uh, incredible progress made by the Sandinista government in Nicaragua, plus the fact that this new government in Honduras is likely to inaugurate uh, a a set of policies that will do a great deal to stabilize the economic and social situation of all all the groups that have been, that have suffered for, uh, what is it now, 10, 12 years un- under the um, uh, right-wing narco dictatorship of, uh, of Juan Orlando Hernandez and before him, Porfirio Lobo. Yeah. Um, th- th- those, those two uh, 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 administrations in Honduras and Nicaragua um, should lead to greater stability overall in the region. And Costa Rica is somewhat at the margins of, 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 of what's going in the re- on in the region because they have always kind of held themselves aloof from uh, integrating as completely as they might into the Central American integration system, which is actually an institution. There's an institution called SICA, which is the Central American integration system. And always the, the, the other four Central American countries, Guatemala, El Salvador, um, Honduras and Nicaragua have been much more committed to, uh, for example, trade trade integration, economic integration in general, um, integration of uh, the various different aspects of uh, their respective um, education policies, their health policies, um, uh, the what do you call them, phytosanitary policies that are incredibly important in countries that are producers of basic grains um, and also uh, uh, veterinary standards that are important in a country that's a big producer of um, beef. So all those aspects, right down to the detailed nitty-gritty of of things, um, have been very important in in terms as as issues that these four Central American countries have made great progress in resolving. And because it's not true that Costa Rica hasn't participated, but it's always held itself aloof from um, engaging as fully as it might in Central American integration. So with the 
the these the, the two stable administrations that we have now in Nicaragua and Honduras should actually promote a greater impulse towards integration in the Central American region. And what in Central America has a population of, what, 70 million? Something like that um, overall. And so what one, an incident that was uh, extremely strange um, and which threatens that... Uh, overall drive towards stability and integration in Central America took place last week with an incursion by Salvadoran uh, military naval vessels in, into uh, Nicaragua's maritime territory in the Gulf of Fonseca, which is a, uh, an area of, of water in, uh, into which El Salvador, on which Honduras, El Salvador, and Nicaragua all have coastline. Now, back in whenever it was, 1990-something, um, the International Court of Justice in, in The Hague uh, decreed, uh, a, 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 they, they issued a judgment enabling all three countries to have access out to the Pacific um, through the Gulf of Fonseca. But El Salvador has always um, tended to reject that in practice. And there was a, back in, back when the Farabundo Marti government was in power in El Salvador, it looked as though there was progress being made to allow all three countries to work harmoniously in the Gulf of Fonseca. Honduras would be allowed its route out to the Pacific through the, the Gulf of Fonseca. And the zone would be declared a zone of peace and economic development. That was uh, you know, a very strong part of the um, regional agenda for de uh, promoting economic development in the region. Um, now, some time ago, Honduras and, and El Salvador had a, a, a dispute because El Salvador has always tried to, uh, to deny that Honduras has a legitimate route out to the Pacific through the Gulf of Fonseca. Now, the 1992 International Court of Justice judgment contradicts the Salvadoran position. Now, what they've done now is... Under, under Bukele's government, they've, they've engaged in this military action um, in which they deny that um, Honduras has any route out to uh, the Pacific. And that's a, 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 an escalation of Salvador's historical reticence in recognizing Honduras's right to uh, a route to the Pacific through the Gulf of Fonseca, mm. but what it's it's actually extraordinary because they said military they claim, vessels this time. The Salvadorans sent military vessels starting last week. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, they, they they sent armed vessels in, that were very provocative yeah. um, into Nicaraguan maritime waters, just thirty kilometers off um, Nicaragua's uh, mainland. So. But the extraordinary thing is that El Salvador has no borders with Nicaragua, either land borders or maritime borders. Right. Under, the, under the International Court of Justice uh, judgment, um, Nicaragua uh, in the Gulf of Fonseca only has a maritime border with Honduras. And yet uh, El Salvador has sailed into Nicaraguan waters with armed vessels, 
with their with their the the the, the crews of those vessels um, making uh, uh, aggressive uh, moves towards the Nicaraguan patrol boats um, that approached and asked them what they were doing, and they they the 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 Salvadoran government. Um, has rejected Nicaragua's claim that uh, El Salvador does not have a maritime border with um, Nicaragua, and and the, the the whole situation is and it's it sounds like something completely at the margins and something not to be taken seriously, but in Central American terms, it's a, it's a, it's a huge blow to efforts to promote regional integration, and in particular, it seems to be a blow directed against the new government of um, Xiomara Castro, because this is unprecedented. El Salvador has never done this, even even though it disagreed with the 1992, I think it was, International Court of Justice uh, sentence. They've they've never actually engaged in military provocations against Nicaragua um, uh, in in Nicaraguan waters. Ever, ever. So, and, and the, the, this is an extraordinary move by Nayib Bukele, and people are scratching their heads about why on earth he's doing it. And in part, some people say it's because he wants to distract people away from his the failure of his uh, economic policies to deliver um, the uh, prosperity and, and well-being to Salvador, Salvador's population. And which is what he promised, and he's he's failing on practically right. every front. Um, so it might be it might simply be a distraction uh, from that policy failure of his in in uh, in El Salvador. And if you personally, I, I I find it very hard to believe that Bukele is not doing this at the instigation of the United States. That's what it seems like to me. Look, you've got El Salvador and Nicaragua, Costa Rica going from North America to South America. And this this is this is in between the three of them. <clears throat> Nicaragua and Honduras have harmonized their claims with each other by by agreement and and actually that pre, that predates uh Ciamara Castro coming into office so this is probably a consensus of the elite in Honduras yeah so and, oh, there's no, no mischief and, to be made the, there the, in other the, words the agreement between Honduras and Nicaragua was negotiated with Juan Orlando Hernandez and that's right. you know that's and a lot of people criticized Daniel Ortega for for dealing with uh, Orlando Hernandez and back in the time of Porfirio Lobo um, Hugo Chavez Frias, our Comandante Eterno, was quite irritated with Daniel, without mm-hmm. President Daniel Ortega, mm-hmm. um, for engaging with Porfirio Lobo on precisely this matter. Right. On preci- precisely the issue of how to develop the Gulf of Fonseca area for the benefit of all the people in the region. But that seems to me to indicate um, the, the, the wisdom and prudence of, yeah. uh, of uh, President Ortega because I agree. I, he, he the Nicaragua's foreign policy insists on non-intervention in the inter, in internal affairs of other countries and that includes Honduras while they may offer support to and they did to um, Mel Zelaya and Ziomara Castro and the Libre Party um, uh, who who when they when they needed support uh, in 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 terms of uh, political party to political party, but that's not the Nicaraguan government. 
right? Right. And that was the Frente Sandinista offering support to the Libre Party. And so, uh, in formal terms, Nicaragua is, is uh, very, very insistent on that principle of non-intervention. And uh, they, they uh, work constantly to promote dialogue and, and agreements um, to promote the, the well-being of people, not just in the region, in the Central American region, but everywhere. And they, they, that's their position on Taiwan, for example, and China. And that was one of the reasons why Nicaragua ended up recognizing the People's Republic of China, because they felt unable to continue recognizing Taiwan, given the aggressive military posture that Taiwan was taking, backed up by the United States. But that, and that's a, a, another, a whole other discussion. And the, the, the thing right now is that with this latest move by El Salvador, and what, who, who stands to benefit from that? And the old cui bono question, and obviously, and the United States is anxious to disrupt moves of, of for uh, Central American integration that involve um, a, a strong component of uh, uh, of policies focused on the needs of the human person yeah. and against the needs of foreign corporations in particular, because that is what Juan Orlando Hernandez, the former Honduran president, represented. And that's why he suffered such a, and his party, suffered such a tremendous electoral defeat last, last, last year. And that's why... President Daniel Ortega and the Frente Sandinista consistently win by a huge margin in, in Nicaragua. I have that, to tell you, looking at this map of, of Central America and, and with uh, at the center of it, uh, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, and uh, El Salvador, I, I, I can hear uh, the echoes of uh, the Dulles brothers and others talking about Asia, I can see the United States is afraid, essentially, of a domino effect. You have progressive governments in Honduras and Nicaragua that are pretty well installed. I mean, you've had the coup there, and the people were resilient. They regained, they've been pushing for the last five or six years real hard, and they regained control of the government. The United States has been playing, reaching in there to try to block it. The games last week and two weeks ago, whatever, you know, the latest manifestation of it. But they have secured control of it. They had the whole Contra affair and, you know, the election of, uh, I forgot her name, uh, was president of uh, Nicaragua for a couple of terms and that whole. Yeah. You know, and the Sandinistas are very firmly in, in place in power there with wide popular support. Um, this example, and, and in El Salvador, there was a, you know, a feint towards a progressive government there, too. Yeah, and the, the, the Frente Farabunda Marti tried to uh, carry out policies quite similar to those of the Frente Sandinista, but they the problem for, for them was that they were unable to control the legislature, they were unable to control the judiciary. And and, and it's worth pointing out that one of the reasons that uh, Nicaragua uh, has been able to avoid the kind of um, the kind of sabotage, the kind of uh, judicial sabotage, the kind of constitutional sabotage that the United States has been able to foment in particular in El Salvador right. um, is because Right back in the 1990s, the, the, the policy of the Frente Sandinista was to um, make sure that they had very strong representation in, in the judicial bar. Right. 
Right. And and that's one of the reasons why they, they've been able to avoid the, the lawfare phenomenon right. that has affected um, other other governments. And, you know, this ridiculous idea, people still talk about separation of powers. Yeah. And it's just ridiculous. And that's in, it, even it here in the United States, it's a joke. You can see, you know, <laughs> I, I think I, I've explained to you some of the uh, mechanical processes of politics in the United States. And you have essentially, even in a county that I live in, which is adjacent to New York City, so it's definitely not the sticks in the richest county, one of the richest counties in the world. There are two guys that are both the representatives of the Democratic and Republican parties, respectively, as the commissioners of elections. They decide who's on the ballot. They're also the chairs of the committee for those two parties. And so they're they're the ones that bring the candidates there, and they decide whether the challenges are valid or not. And they also are chosen by the same people that choose the judges, where if you challenge their determination, are going to decide whether or not you can be on the ballot. We're out of time, so now we got to pick up the rest of this next week. But uh, that is a pattern that they have entrenched everywhere. And, of course, we can ask Lula and a number of others. So thank you, Stephen, for your time this week, and we'll speak with you again next week. Okay, look forward to it, John. Thanks a million. Thank you. And that's all the news we have for you right now. For Community Public Radio, I'm Don DeBar in New York. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.